creek's been rising, all the weather's coming up for you. Found a little nugget, or your horse has won the cup. Put the billy on. Ring Macca. Australia's waiting for you. That's the story. Good morning, wherever you are. That's the story and people ringing up and sharing whatever. And that was last week. I enjoyed the Anzac Day program last week, and lots of people did. And thank you for your emails. But onwards and upwards, 1300 700 222, that's our number this morning, wherever you are, around Australia, all over the world, and we'll take you there this morning. Good morning. Want a hand, mate? Ring Macca. Where are you, Davey? Good morning, Macca. I'm, I'm a truck driver. I'm driving between Melbourne and Brisbane and Sydney and Adelaide and everywhere. Darren Furniture. How long have you been doing yeah. that, Dave? 11 years now. I've been on the road about four or five days now. I'm heading back to Melbourne now. And where are you from originally, Davey? I was born in Western Samoa, and I moved up. Australia in 1983. And you've been driving a truck most of the time now? Yeah, I've been a truck driver for 27 years now. I've been in everywhere in Australia. I mean, I'm heading off from Brisbane last night and I stopped in West Wailong. My wife called me this morning about four o'clock and she said, um, my daughters have a twin baby, twin girls. Twins. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I got the twin born at this stage. This oh, yes. Day for us. Good on you, Davey. Thanks, mate. I like your program. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Davey last week, and his daughters had twin girls, and it was on Anzac Day last Sunday, so congratulations to him. Our number this morning, 1300 700 222, wherever you are. Lots of interesting things this morning. Eliza emailed me uh, last week and she said, I called you two weeks ago and I told you I was about to start the GSWW, which I think is the Great Southwest Walk, just en route home after an epic adventure on foot along the wild, woolly southwest coast of Victoria. And it's cold now, isn't it, too? Getting flogged by rain, 30-knot winds and sea spray and loving every minute of it. I rescued penguins, scraped off leeches, dodged snakes, managed blisters, open fire cooking, skinny dipping under spectacular limestone cliffs and bonding with strangers. (laughs) Says Eliza Peel. Well, good on you, Eliza. I'm not sure. You know, like Kieran, people who do these sort of daring do things, wild walks, and that's not that far, I suppose. I sometimes think of the Bibblewon Walk, which is the one from Perth down to Albany, which is about 400-odd k's and it's through the bush in the middle of nowhere. I remember the lady and her mother did it. Um, they rang. Well, they rang once or twice, but you can't ring many times from along that trap, the Bibblewon. But there's lots of things. The Hans Heisen Trail, um, you know, the um, Human Hovel Track, all those sort of things. But, you know, and then down in Tasmania, there's a lot of uh, daring-do walks down there. Not for all of us, I think, and you've got to be pretty fit and you've got to train for it, but um, good on you, Eliza. Scraped off leeches, dodged snakes, managed blisters, open fire cooking, skinny dipping under... Now, that sounds good. Skinny dipping under spectacular limestone cliffs, but it'd be cold. My God. Oh, dear. Bobcat says, we listen most Sunday mornings um, and listen to the callers. Uh, last week was very interesting about Anzac. The thing I noticed only this morning when hearing the people ring in, not only this week, but every week is that it's like listening to an audio book and every caller is a new chapter. Thanks for bringing us all together to share stories from near and far. Good on you, Bobcat. That's uh, exactly exactly right, it's how I feel. And Kaisha, Kaisha Minturn says, we're listening to the show from Nashville, Tennessee. Wouldn't you like to be in Nashville? See, that's changed too. I bet there's not nearly as much music happening around Nashville, Tennessee as there was. Hasn't it changed things? I wonder if we'll get back to it. 
anything like that where you could go out and you'd pop into a, I was, remember I was in New York in I don't know 1980 something and you'd go into a bar and there's a little band there a little jazz band here and a little jazz band there and a little whatever it, just wonderful I think music makes the world go round and it's nice to go and have a something to eat or a drink or a cup or whatever but gee it's nice to have some music not doesn't have to be you know huge just a little trio or a piano and a sax and drums and oh yeah that's the way to go. Keisha says, we're listening in Nashville, remembering my great-grandfather last Anzac Day. We love listening, and it's definitely a little piece of home as I listen to you every Sunday with my dad, says Keisha. Thank you, Keisha. Our number this morning, 1300 700 Good G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. How you going? It's Bazza. G'day, Bazza. Where are you? Hey, I'm in uh, Timber Creek, mate. Timber Creek, just before the border from Kununurra. Oh, I know. I know Timber Creek. I've, I've been to Timber Creek once. <laughs> I, Have you? <laughs> I, I called in once. Well, when we were on the road, I think when we were doing the G'day tour, we um yeah yeah, yeah we, a long while back yeah 2010 or something like that yeah. So uh, how's yeah. things in Timber Creek, Baz? Oh, pretty good, pretty mm-hmm. good. Uh, we had a big fishing contest this weekend, mm-hmm. but um, what I rang you for, Macker, was uh, last week. I was a bit late getting back from the service at the Anzac thing. And uh, it was one of the greatest um, Anzac service I've seen on Macaroo Hill up here in Timber Creek. On, on, a, what's, it, what's the hill called? Macaroo, the, which the, uh, after the Second World War, Stanner and um, um, uh, one of the other fellows um, put up a, a, a North Force, which yeah. was called the Macaroos. They call it North Force now. Yeah. But um, it was a tremendous service, and it was the first one. I think I spoke to you oh years ago in uh, Tiberius when I was over with the light horse. Oh yeah. And um, and uh, the it was done with the the uh, catapult party was done with Aboriginals. Yep. And uh, instead of rifles, it was done with native spears. Wow. And it was fantastic. Uh, the North Force from. Uh, Catherine came up and did the show, mm. and we had uh, Doris, a local Aboriginal girl here. She did the best smoking ceremony you'd ever see. I thought it was a bushfire. It was a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a marvellous service. We had about 100 people there we should up have... on Nakaroo Hill. Yeah. yeah, the things that you miss, you know, people tell you about things. Baz, that would have been just a, a wonderful experience, a wonderful experience. The first time I'd ever I've seen the the, uh, the service done many times over in um, you know all over the place really, but this was most impressive and uh, the Aboriginal fellas were all great. They were from all over the country and uh, big strapping fellas and they're great great people. They are mate, great people. Oh, exactly, exactly. It would be. Um... Yeah, I suppose, you know, you can take photos, but you you had to be there, especially with a smoking ceremony. I love smoking ceremonies. <laughs> well, it was, it was you know, this wasn't just waving smoke at you. This, this girl had a really good bushfire going. It was the best smoking ceremony I've been doing. I I, uh, I was over at Pine Creek there for five years running the museum over here, and I run the, the um, police museum here at um, Timber Creek. And uh, I've seen lots of smoking ceremonies and lots of uh, lots of different things with the Aboriginals. I love it, but um, this was the best I'd ever seen. <laughs> and what's the uh, weather like in Timber Creek? It's still nice and warm during the day. Oh, it's it's um, beautiful during the morning and the evenings. 
starting to pick up around about the 37 mark during the day, but um, it'll on. get up around about the 40 mark again. Good on you, Bertha. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Good service. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Harry's, where are you, Harry? I'm out at Ard Lesson on the tractor. On the tractor? What are you doing? Um, just sowing a bit of canola at the moment. Uh-huh. Is that uh, early? Is it usually this time, or is it early, or what? Oh, it's about the right time. This, they say just after Anzac Day, so about the right time to start sowing it. And is this your place, Harry? Um, it's um family farm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, well, you've had a pretty good uh, season so far, haven't you? Yeah, we're looking like we're going to go into a pretty good season, so, yeah. So what time, what time do you get up, Harry? Oh, about five o'clock this morning. Yeah. And you'll, yeah. Uh, how much you're sowing today? What what sort of area? I'll probably try and get at least a uh, couple hundred hectares done, two hundred and fifty hectares. Uh huh. There you go. So, and uh, life on the farm's pretty good at the moment, Harry. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, yeah, real good. Yeah. Uh, anything else to report, Harry? Oh, not really. A bit, a bit of rain next week could be um. Ideal and yeah, I think that's well. It's sort of predicted, isn't it? You never know until it, it happens. But I think there's some rain around the place. Yeah, I think it's coming. They yeah, they change it up and down all the time. Weather <laughs> people. But, yeah, yeah well, according to the spreadsheets, Harry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Um, so you'll go all day today. Yeah, we'll go all day and um, into the night probably, and yeah, just try and get it. Get it fair bit in before the rain. So you uh, you all air-conditioned and um, wired for sound and everything there and and, and all set and forget or you, um, yeah, a bit old-fashioned in terms of the way you sew? No, all lights and all the, yeah, all the bells and whatever, yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose that's good, yeah. Uh, but uh, in the old days, they were in a tractor with no cabin on it and, yeah, out in the elements, but... Um, yeah, you don't need that, Harry. No, no, that's it. It would have been pretty hard going. I'll yeah. say. Well, nice to talk to you, Harry. Good luck, mate. Yeah, thank you. See you, Thanks mate. You. Bye. Rob's near Port Macquarie. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, that's right, Macca. It's um, Rob and Sally Horn from Budrum. Uh-huh. And um, just on our, just making our way back to Budrum today after a couple of week journey down to Victoria up through the high country and um, back at Port Stephens this morning and on our way home. Gee, that's a great trip. That's a great trip. How was it up in the high country? Oh, magnificent, Macca. We, we drove from Echuca and um, that trip through um, Cobra and Corowara, long, um, how long through there was magnificent. It was dead calm and just beautiful autumn leaves and that around. But... Um, once we got up into um, Ken Coburn and Corriong and what have you, it was just stunning. And um, then we did a walk from uh, Threadbow up to top of Kosciuszko, is the correct wording, I believe, correct pronunciation. And um, so we did the 13k round trip to do that and finished up pretty tired, but it was the most magnificent day without a hardly a breath of wind up there. So it was um, magnificent. Thanks, mate. Oh, the high country's fantastic, especially this time of year. I don't know before it gets too cold and starts snowing. Although that's another thing altogether. But um, yeah, it's just oh, I don't know. It's pristine and fantastic, isn't it? 
Oh, look, it's, and we're blessed that there was still some snow up there from a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, looking at the weather situation, I think they're going to cop a, a fair dump during the, the start of next week, or this week, I mean. Yeah. Um, and when we left, it was minus three degrees um, and just had the most magnificent sunrise as we're heading down towards Jindabyne. And, um, yeah, the sunrise and the mist that was in the valley and all that was just, yeah, gobsmacking type stuff, mate. Excellent. What do you do in, in Budrum, Rob? I'm one of those real estate agents. <laughs> one of those real estate. Well, and things are fairly, uh, well, I don't know about in Budrum, but uh, whenever you read the papers that things are going gangbusters, apparently, in the in the real estate uh, area. Yeah, yeah, very much that, Macca. That's what we've escaped from. We've been so busy for the last, effectively, 12 months and lockdown with COVID that it's nice to um, have a, we've got a break and, we're able to go down and spend some time with um, Sally's father, who's 94 and still living at home on his on his own, and um, and just good to get out and, and see country. It's just you know, the trip to come down through the centre and then finish up along the river and even to get across to Port Stephens. It's just a yeah, you know, just reassures you what a good place we've got. Yeah. Do you think um, the rush, the real estate rush, has got anything to do with COVID? Is COVID pushed that? Do you reckon, and why? Oh, look, I think it's just made people make decisions. Um, they've just decided to sort of lock down and buy property and also look for safe havens, and that's something that the um, Sunshine Coast and a, and a place like Butterham does have. Yeah. That, um, and then I think that people, because they can't travel overseas, they've, they've got money, and, um, and we've just seen a lot of that flow into the area where people just want to find good places to either raise a family and now they can successfully operate from home work-wise. They don't have to be in a major city or regional centre. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's brought on a, a, a change for those sort of people that might have been thinking that they'd do it in the next five or ten years. They're doing it now in preference. Um, would certainly be it, Macker, I reckon. Mm. Robbie, but, thanks for uh, your, thanks for your report, and uh, yeah, wish we'd been on the trip with you. We should all get down to the high country before it starts snowing, and you can't get around so much. And and you know the claret ashes and stuff, the changing colours, beautiful. Oh, just stunning! But as I say, the day we did it, there was no wind, and the Lake Yarrawonga was dead flat. So was the Pondage at Cairn and just a stunning blue sky. So it was yeah, we couldn't ask for better. Good on you, Rob. Thanks, Mac. All the best. Oh, good day. It's Hugh here, Dan Panola in the southeast of South Australia. Good day, Hugh. Going harvest, going, getting ready to go and harvest some grapes. Oh, right. Vintage. V- that, yeah. Is that is that that's late, isn't it? Or is it? Yes. Yeah, it's a bit later than normal apparently, but the the winemakers in their wisdom said hold off, and eh, we're just breaking the back of it. Really, we harvest about three hundred tons on last Friday. Wow. Uh, we've been going for about three weeks, so yeah, there's still a few more weeks to go yet. But wow. apparently, it's very good, very good season. Uh, the quality and the quantity is very good. They comparing it to the 1990 season, which, as far as quality, and I know nothing about growing grapes or <laughs> making wine, but they say that's, they say that's a very good year. But yeah. you know everything, obviously, about harvesting them, Hugh. Tell me about that. 
No, I don't know anything much about harvesting either. All I do is drive a tractor which goes along beside the harvester and collects the grapes in these big bins that carry about two and a half tonnes of grapes and we ferry them back between the harvesters and the loading pads or the wineries you know, around, the, around the area. How long have you been yeah. doing that, Hugh? Oh, only for about about three weeks. I, I normally work for the CSIRO. I, I do, the, do the media for the CSIRO, but I've taken a year off and I'm going out and... I've been behind a desk for long enough, Macca, so I'm <laughs> going out and going out. And I spoke to you a couple of years ago when I was on a research vessel out on the Coral Sea, out in the investigator. Right, yeah, the yeah. Road. yeah. Yeah. So I'm down here with the down here with the cows and the magpies. It's beautiful down here. Yeah, yeah lovely day. Oh, mate, I, I I went on a grape harvester one one time, and I'm not sure they were small grapes, and I think they were, would they be Chardonnay grapes? I'm not. They were, yeah, they were tiny. But anyway. Oh, it's mainly mainly Cabernet and Shiraz down here, but the, yeah, the harvesters there they thrash the thrash the vines and they come off. They come amazing. They don't lose very many, and they put them all in these bins and off they go. So it, they harvest with a lot of grapes and a few leaves, and um, and then it gets uh, sorted and away you go. Yeah, well, the the the, the, the group that I'm working for, Balnaves down here, they they've got developed these these. Uh, machines that sit on top of the bins that take out a lot of the the stalks and the the, the canes and everything like that, so the, the sample comes through pretty clean, apparently. Yeah. So, Huey, tell me about your epiphany. Um, <laughs> sick of being oh. behind behind a desk and sick of the media, which we can, you know, that's not hard to do. Um, no, no, I'm not not sick of the media. No, I'm not, I love the CSIRO and the work they do, and it's it's really interesting. But I've, you know, 16 years in in in, in an office and. I got out and out and about a fair bit, but you know it's just good to be out out and and seeing different things. I'm going up the northeast to help with landmarking around Manor Hill after this, so I'm just having a bit of a look around. So have you have you um, worked out your 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 year off? Have you what you're going to be doing every you know every month or two? Well, pretty much, yeah. I'm, I'm going to the northeast. I love the northeast of South Australia, so I'll go up there and. I also love driving graders, so I might go there and see if I can find a grader that I can go and do some do some roads and fire breaks and things like that. So, How good is this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huey, I'd love to come with you, mate. Um, yeah, I'm sick of driving a desk too from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> time to time. Yeah, I think it happens more than that. Yeah, yeah but um, oh, but it's, it's lovely to get out and there's something about it, isn't it? Like the black rang this morning, he's, up, he's been just been up in the high country. Telling us about um, yeah something wonderful and beautiful in autumn about the high country uh, before the snow. Yeah, well, the, the weather's changed down here. It was twenty five down here yesterday, but we you know, but they had frost, a couple of frosts last week. So, so it's just starting to change, and the the grapes are the the bow may as they call it. The sugar levels and the grapes is getting up there now. So they look for fourteen to fourteen percent, but it's it's getting higher and higher. So they're they're wanting to get them off as soon as they can. I don't understand that. What does that mean? Well, apparently now, yeah, <laughs> uh, the 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 sugar levels in the grape is about fourteen, right? And that that equates to about the same level as alcohol in the wine, in the end. Mm. So you know, if it gets too high, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent, then the wine gets too strong. So they have to, I don't know what the winemakers do, but they 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 work their magic and bring it down a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they've got to get it off. It turns to the grapes turn to jam. You know the Sometimes going through the harvest, it's like, like jam coming through. The they get all mushy and sugary, and 
playing off. But no, good. So, Hugh, you're outside now. You're on your your harvester. Are you about to start, or what's it doing? No, I'm still. I'm, I'm out of the out of, out just just on a small place called the Gums, just outside of Panola. So the cows are coming in for their morning water, and we're starting starting at eight o'clock this morning, which is which is late usually. But um, yeah, we broke the. I think we've broken the back of the main harvest last week and a couple of weeks ago. So just getting ready now. Go out this morning. See, I always thought that you know seasons of mist and mellow fruitfulness. I always thought it was March that was you know the late um, grace. But I suppose has it been cooler? Is that why the harvest is a bit later? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the sort of in South Australia they started you know the, the Barossa, um, McLaren Vale, then. Langhorn Creek and sort of further, you know, we're fair way south of that, so it's been cooler here, so it's a bit, bit, bit later, so they move on and come down here. Yeah. Huey, um, I'm going to try and bump into you. We've got a number for you, have we? Yeah, 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 you've got it. I'm going to sure, try and uh, bump into you I'll, in the next uh, in the next six months yeah, when you're on the... Uh, yeah. I'll talk to you from the northeast on greater, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Driving a grader. A bloke rang, used to ring us. He rings us from time to time out in the middle of nowhere. He's on his grader and he sent us a couple of photos, but he's just, uh, yeah. That's a lonely old job too, Huey. That was. He was on no. his he was on his tod out there. No, well, you know, it's surprising out in the bush. It's surprising how many people call through, especially now. You know, there's lots of travellers. There's people everywhere. So it's hard to get away from them really sometimes. So, yeah. Huey, Huey, we shall uh, we shall meet. Sometime. No worries. Good on it. Nice to talk to you, mate. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. G'day, Ian. Jan Lowing from Nobby. How are you today? Um, I'm better, Jenny. How are you? I'm, I'm good. You sound a lot better, actually, Ian. <laughs> slowly, slowly, Jan. It's, uh, yeah, slowly, slowly. Work in, prog- yeah. work in progress. What's happening, Jan? We- um, last weekend was Anzac Day, so I, I should have rung last weekend. We had the National Kelpie Trial just south of me here at Ellera um, in Queensland. And and this is the big news, a female won it for the first time ever, which is really a bit like Michelle Payne winning the Melbourne Cup if you're in the dog <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah, well, tell you, I mean, um, we, we don't know the significance of that. You t- tell us why that's, well, that's the first time oh, ever, well, of course, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you know, kelpies and dogs and um, stockmen and uh, it's all never, never, well, there's been very few women enter it, I suppose, over the years. Mm. At uh, Young Bree, she's um, 26, she's from Western Victoria, down near Birigara, and uh, a really nice young bitch she's trained herself. She works with sheep all the time down there, manages the sheep on the station, and uh, she did an absolutely amazing job, and she knocked off um, some of these fellas that won it two or three times. Uh, just brilliant, and uh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person, so there you go. And what <laughs> what does that mean for um, Kelpie breeding and things like that, Jan? Is that significant for that? Well... If people had, uh, this is the thing that really always makes me wonder. Uh, it's very, very low profile, as you know. All dog trialing in Australia is pretty low profile. Some of the best dogs in Australia and um, the best handlers were there last weekend. There were just a handful of people came and watched, apart from the competitors. Beautiful weather, perfect place, lovely sheep, just wonderful entertainment. And um, I think. Um, 
I think, you know, a lot of people just need to get out there and see how clever these dogs are because the way things are going, um, dogs are being banned from working in all sorts of places now. A lot of abattoirs won't have them. They're just very, very clever and the sheep aren't knocked around and it's... um, so that the utility trial is a test of both yard work, you know, really pushy, yeah. barky work, and uh, very, very clever outside work with five sheep through obstacles. So it's a huge test. And, uh, yeah, a dog that can win that, you know, they're very, very clever dogs. Oh, oh they're, they're marvellous, aren't they? I think you sent me a photo of um, those dogs in Lapland or somewhere, wherever they were, and... They had their little um, reindeer. Yeah, with a reindeer, <laughs> and they had their little thunder jackets on, I think, to keep them warm or whatever. But oh, um, yeah, that's yeah. So it's in Austria, I think. Yeah, yeah, they get around. They're all over the world these days. Yeah, and why have they banned them in 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 abattoirs and things? What's the story? Yeah, well, you know, um, there's a lot of lot of people think that if you get a dog near an animal, that the animal's going to suffer, and. Uh, uh, it's going to get worse and worse as time goes on. Um, they, they're using, um, you know, what a lager phone is. You've seen yeah. seen those in yeah. bands. Yeah. <laughs> they're using that sort of thing as a shaker to um, push the sheep up in some of the abattoirs now and banning the dogs. Um, and, you know, the good dogs worked in muzzles. There's absolutely no reason. I just feel that um, it's going to carry on and we need to be very careful with... Um, uh, the do-gooders and the greenies and all these, you know, weeping souls, um, they just get a bit carried away and they don't even like a dog being tied up, which is pretty important for its safety on a farm at times. Exactly. Ex- you know, when ex- working on vehicles and uh, can't always have beautiful cages for them, although most utilities do have cages now. And and, um, and when you see the work on a farm that a dog does or can do with rounding up and just generally... I mean, yep. the the joint wouldn't run without them, really. They just do the work of, you know, three or four or five blokes. And yeah, it's a bit worrying. Last week I saw in a report that um, a couple of blokes were using drones to get their sheep into the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, dear, oh, dear. What's the world coming well, to? Well, you, know you know what the world's coming to, Janice. <laughs> we just got to... I think we do, but anyway. Read them and uh, wait, sort of, yeah. On, on a sadder note, um, poor old farms up here are having a terrible time after three or four years of drought and missing out on crops. They've um, got a really good crop this year and a mouse plague and oh. the grain is being rejected because there's mouse shit in it. Oh, God, help me. Really? And they're having to take their trucks home again. They don't know what to do with it. Just awful. Oh, yeah, you, who'd be a farmer? Anyway, <laughs> we're lucky we've got them, aren't we? Or we'd all be very hungry. <laughs> uh, I'll see you for a burger in the Nobby pub as soon as I can. That'd be great. Bye. See you, Jan. <laughs> Bye-bye. I believe it's uh, our swimming correspondent. Is that right? Peter Joseph, good morning. Yeah, good day, Macca. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm down at Manly Surf Club. Good on you. And it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, is there something on, on there? Uh, yeah, just the uh, uh, the desperates uh, who come and uh, swim around the Shelley Beach and back. Say hello to a few blue gropers. And, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And last week, we were doing the same thing on Anzac Day, and uh, honestly, Manly was like a, a mill pond. Really? And as we came back from the swim, it's a couple of K, um, stood up in the water, and there was the sound of a, a lone bugler up on the second floor of Manly Surf Club playing the last post. 
and uh, drifted out over the ocean. And there were, I don't know, hundreds of people up on the promenade, lots on the beach, and probably a hundred of us in the water stood as one looking at the surf club. And uh, it was just hauntingly beautiful. And then we had a minute silence and then he played the Ravalli. And then uh, it could have been for uh, a mate of mine and yours, uh, Johnny Conrads, who, who died a few hours later in the hospital at Noosa. I, I, uh, I saw that and I, I remember we, we uh, were under your, um, we went to see um, Robert Turnbull up there at uh, Lightning Ridge. It. And um, and uh, we we uh, we took the rain gauge up, and uh, Johnny Conrad's came with us because he was he yep. was because uh, you're associated with uh, Black Dog, and John was a, a, a patron of Black Dog, wasn't he? He was a he was on the board of Black Dog, and he was an ambassador. He he, uh, he battled bipolar for a lot of years. Yeah, he had and, his issues, uh, didn't he? He did have his issues. He never quite conquered them, but in its own own sort of way at his greatness and I mean he was Ian Thorpe of his days you know at one point he held every uh, every world record in freestyle swimming in the book at the same time. Uh, yes I know. amazing isn't it and and yeah. uh, see I think for young kids because he's very young and his sister too uh, and when, also, when you're yeah. very young that that must have an effect on you. You know, he, he was training, and I remember talking to him when we were going up to Lightning Ridge, and he said, "I just got sick of looking at that black line when you're looking straight down on the in the pool, and there's usually a black uh, line of black tiles on the bottom of the thing, and and you're doing that, you know, mile after mile after mile, because swimmers have to swim mile after mile, because um, otherwise you don't get fit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I often. Uh or reflecting over the last week that in some ways his, uh, his greatness was made manifest by virtue of some of these vulnerabilities that he had and uh, the fact that he, uh, I don't know, he, he just, uh, he, he, he had an amazing sort of humanity. I mean, he's a cheeky bugger, but he, <laughs> he, he was a very modest man. You know, the real Anzac virtues of... Uh, sort of mateship and courage which would have come by virtue of the fact that he was born in Latvia yeah. in World War Two. The family came out here in that big wave of post-war immigration and battled away out of Western Sydney and a young teacher became he and Elsa's coach, Don Talbot. Uh, he died in, I think, December last year. Uh, you know, they who would have thought that based on all of that, that uh, they'd conquer the world. Yeah, exactly. We, we went, did an outside broadcast down out of Wagga, I think, um, uh, where there was a, where, the, where the, the migrant camp was. And I think Ilsa came down there um, because I think that's where they were when they first came to Australia. They were in a migrant camp yeah, down there. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. and I'm, we met Ilsa down there. Um, and that looked, yeah. that, again, that was about 15, 20 years ago. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, John, it, uh, sorry, uh, John. John, when at the age of seven, could not swim. <laughs> is, How does that work? Yeah, well, that's the same. I, don't, I think Kieran Kelly was the same. He said he couldn't swim till he's eighteen or something, uh, seventeen. <laughs> so it's, he's made up for it. Yeah, he's made up for it. <laughs> Good on you, Pete. Yeah, pause to reflect. Good John Conrad's a great Australian, and 
and put in for other people as well as himself, didn't he? He was, uh, he was a great man. Yeah, you know, he's an Anzac. Uh, the Anzac spirit lives large in him and uh, beautiful stuff. And, and, and that, what you said yeah. about the, the, the last post and the bloke on the train, he says we were driving and we were on the train heading to Melbourne. He said out in the paddock there, he's a bloke standing by his ute and he's out in the middle of nowhere playing the last post out in the yeah. – and, and it's really – it's a really down-to-earth um, commemoration now, isn't it? I suppose because of COVID and they can't have the big uh, commemorations, but some, in some ways the smaller the – you know, there's something, there's something more personal about that, Pete, than being in a crowd of 10,000 or 20,000 yep, at Gallipoli. Yep, yep, yeah, and I mean, what was extraordinary was there was like as one – you know, the whole place, the beach, you know, on the promenade, people in the water just, you know, just stood quietly. Mm. And uh, almost like their own, sort of everyone was doing their own quiet, saluted reflection. It was just instant. Yeah. God magnificent. It says something wonderful about them, you know, this country, really. And that um, that um, migrant hostel, as they were called then, was at Urin Quinty, where... I think John and Ilsa first um, first met Australia, if you know what I mean. I think, uh, and that's, yeah. that's where I met yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And well, by the way, that rain gauge, we didn't take it up. We went to pick it up. Oh, we went to pick it, it up. Was, that's uh, right. It was Rob Turnbull. He, he reckoned that it didn't, didn't wasn't working uh, mm. any longer because they were in drought, and he put it up for an auction for charity. That's right. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it raised a few bobs. So there we- you go. I'm going to try and get up to um, uh, Lightning Ridge in the next couple of weeks if I can. So, um, anyway, I'll give you a report. Good on you, Pete. All right, mate. See ya. Bye. What we're going to do here is go back, right back. Well, not too far back, to about 1989, 1990, to a lot of the letters that I didn't read because I didn't get a chance to read because we got lots and lots and lots of letters. I just love these letters, and I don't know why, but I think it's because it takes you back to a time 30 years ago when things were totally different. Have a listen to these letters anyway. I think they're magic. Like this one from three blokes, Peter Hunt, Paul Crawford, and Rog Barrows. I think it's Rog Barrows. And they say, Dear Mac, I just thought we'd drop your line from Armadale, New South Wales. The reason we're here is that we are attempting to complete the degree of Bachelor of Rural Science at the University of New England. We thought you may be interested to hear about the faculty with our members from all over Australia. This is a science degree with an emphasis on agriculture, which attracts ruralies, <laughs> calls them ruralies, from all over the country. Our course is a dynamic one, constantly adapting to new developments and the requirements of agriculture and its associated industries. Our graduates emerge confident that they can approach agricultural problems in a wide range of areas from the soil microorganisms to macroeconomics. Now, this is written 30 years ago, and these are young blokes. I'd say they're, you know, 20, 21, 22. Naturally, we try to introduce into the humdrum of university life such highlights as rodeo, rouseabout balls, woolshed dances and dinners. One way of keeping bushies in a contented state of mind is to publish our own paper called The Rouseabout, filled with gossip, slander, faculty news and the occasional serious article. Enclosed for your cultural enlightenment and reading pleasure is a copy of our latest selection of The Rouseabout. It would be greatly appreciated if you could contribute. And of course I didn't, of course, because I was tearing around like a, a mad thing. But these are young blokes, and I'm not sure if young blokes, really young blokes, about 21, 22, listen now. They were in 1990, obviously. And I must tell you that the Bachelor of Rural Science still exists at the University of New England. So these are young blokes, 
staying on campus, I'd say, and I think that was a great way to do your degree, I reckon. But anyway, because they'd travel from all over Australia to be part of this. Anyway, in addition, the Australian Rural Science Annual is compiled and edited by our own Rural Science Undergraduate Society. This magazine is a direct service to the agricultural community, providing the latest info on developments in the industry from new industries like tea tree oil, again, this is 1990, to technological developments, for example, genetic engineering. We all feel homesick at times for our different parts of this wide brown land, which we love so much, but rural science has brought us together from near and far and is a well-worthwhile experience for all involved. All for now. See you later. Peter Hunt, Paul Crawford and Rog Barrows. And there is still a Bachelor of Rural Science at UNE. And I wonder if the young blokes still have a, a magazine called The Rouseabout. And I wonder if they bought online because COVID's stopped all that. But maybe they'll get back to that this year because there's something special. Although I didn't do it, I always wanted to go on board at uni and become part of university life. I think that's a great part of your university life is if you get to board, get to know everybody who's there. And usually they were country blokes from all over the place. And I just wonder what they're doing now. But I reckon it'd be a great experience to live on campus and do your degree. And this one, listen to this. This is from a lady called Rose Fitzgerald, and it was written in 1988. And she says, Dear Ian, my family are part of your listening audience each Sunday morning and love those special sounds you bring into our homes. Last Sunday, I was interested to hear you read a letter from Gordon Fuller of Candos, giving a description of the bird life in his favourite walkaway. Memories came flooding back, for I'd spent all my young years at Candos, a mining boomtown. Now, Candos is in sort of the lower blue mountains of New South Wales. The following extracts from a book I have recently published called Victory in Our Veins provides an insight into some of the growing pains and the grit of the working men and women who, in the midst of pasture land, build up a successful industry from minerals discovered in the surrounding hills. And there was mining and cement in Candos. So this is the first extract, and it says this. Telephones had not yet become part of our lives in 1921, and whenever there was an accident at the mine or cement works, the whistle was a means of contacting a doctor as quickly as possible, and Dr Darton, the only doctor in the town, spent a lot of his time at Ralston Hospital, five miles away. However, instead of a single blast, the whistle would hoot in stops and starts for any time up to 20 minutes or thereabouts. It was a sound that filled the whole community with dread for most of the residents by now had one member of the family at least working at either the cement works or the coal mine. I remember the night Mr Gallagher was caught in the machinery and killed. As soon as the hooting started, people in night attire and a coat to cover them gathered in groups on the roadway, teeth chattering, not from cold but from nervous speculation. There were only a few people in the town who owned a motor car, but those who did would drive slowly toward the knots of people and inquire if any one of them had a relative at work. If they did, the driver said, hop in, and drove them the mile and a half to the works or the mine. The priest was always the first on the scene, and the prayers on the lips of those waiting, silent or otherwise, were firstly for their own kin, and that it wasn't anything serious. All too often the trauma of waiting with the twin partners of fear and hope had been re-enacted, and however quickly news was brought back and circulated like wildfire, it seemed to be a lifetime. Dr. Darton really only lived on the breadline. He seldom sent out bills and some patients paid in produce. There was a time when his car was in danger of being repossessed and he made no protest. He couldn't keep up the payments and he said he would hold them responsible for any deaths that occurred through his inability to get to treat an accident case. He may have had a benefactor for he was allowed to keep the car. Music was his relaxation and without it I doubt he could have coped with the demands made on his time. He played the violin with a magic touch, losing himself, 
as he and the melody became one. He once told the schoolchildren at a prize-giving ceremony that, although he wasn't a Catholic, the nuns had taught him music, and at exam time they pinned sacred medals on him, and, with their and his natural love of learning, he had done quite nicely. Many years later, Dr. Darton was killed in a car crash, a sad ending to a dedicated, pioneering doctor who gave himself entirely to the welfare of the multitude of ailments and injuries, day and night, incurred in the birth and growth of Candos. And this was a letter Rose sent to me in 1989, I think, part of her book called Victory in Our Veins. And Rose says, congratulations on the program. It really snowballed with your easy manner of getting interesting and down-to-earth people to write or talk to you on air. And I hope my small contribution will bring back fond memories for some who had almost forgotten those long-ago days. I'll keep going through our back pages from time to time. They need to be heard. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.